Hello and welcome to Starting Small. If you guys haven't heard, we're hosting Starting Small Summit again this year. We're hosting a live Q&A panel with the founder of Sweetwater Sound, Chuck Sirak, Cameron Smith, co-founder of Kodiak Cakes, and Peter Tuckman, the Einstein of Wall Street. Live at Bethel University in the Everest Roar Auditorium, we partnered with Idea Week to make registration free this year. So make sure to go to the link in this bio at ideaweek.com and register right now for Starting Small Summit, and I cannot wait to see you there on April 20th. In this interview, I sit down with Josiah Citrin, one of LA's top fine dining chefs. Listen as he shares stories from his French heritage and bringing that culinary experience to California. Hello and welcome to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Josiah Citrin of Melisse and so many more restaurants out here. Josiah, thank you so much for joining me today. It's my pleasure to be here and uh, get to know you. Of course. Well, I'd like to start out with your upbringing. Uh, where did you grow up and what would you say your childhood was like? Okay, so I grew up here in uh, Santa Monica, Venice. Uh, we moved, I was born in 1968 in Los Angeles around the Silver Lake area, Los Feliz Silver Lake area. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents moved to Santa Monica in 1970. Wow. Uh, so I lived in Third Ocean Park. So it's kind of a hippie community, not, you know, obviously it was a uh, definitely a more ghetto. Yeah. A white ghetto, maybe, right? Yeah. A beach ghetto. Right? Who's going to complain again about that, right? <clears throat> so we moved to the beach, hippies. Um, so I grew up there. My father's French. My mother's American. So mm-hmm. I grew up with my grandparents. They're French, and they moved here. Mm-hmm. So we lived in um, Santa Monica. I grew up surfing, biking, skating, all the things you do. Yeah. In the beach community at that time, it was a great. I thought it was a great place to grow up because, you know, we had good... It was all good people. We all watched each other's back. A lot of kids, neighborhoods, you know, it's different yeah. nowadays. We grew up in Santa Monica, I think, in a very diverse atmosphere. You know, uh, Latino, black, white. Mm. We didn't care, really. You know, friends had brothers that were, you know, now are, would be known as autistic. Back there, they were just, you know, we retarded, which you can't use anymore. But I'm yeah. just saying, that no one cared. We took care of each other. For sure. We just grew up in a community where you were part of the community. We might tease people here and there, but I felt like everybody was pretty much to feel the love and it was a good community, I think, Santa Monica for at the sure. time. And a lot of, you know, some, a lot of us, a lot of us didn't make it though and got hooked on drugs. You know, mm-hmm. it was definitely also dangerous, but yeah. I think in the end of the day, it was a good childhood. Of course. I'd love to hear like some of your hobbies and I know your family has strong background and like yeah. that culture of like food and how does that tie into like your future and what you're doing here yeah. today as well so, so i think my hobbies i grew up surfing all okay. the time it's all about surfing skating um like music always you know rock and roll music mm-hmm. uh, but so it started with my mom was a caterer so i grew up around food yeah but then also i surfing so you go surfing and you surf all day and you get out of the water and you want to eat so it's like oh that's so you go eat you start going to restaurants young i think yeah. on your own at a younger age whether it's a coffee shop on lincoln thomas's coffee shop but i started liking to eat it out and i enjoy yeah. eating and then from that restaurant it goes to different restaurants and different passions mm. then watching my mom cook at home and learning you know helping out but i only help not because i wanted to cook i want to make money to go surfing yeah right or then on the weekends when i go see my grandma and she'd make some old friends she made that six or seven classic french dishes mm. she wasn't like a great cook but she she knew how to cook like six or seven dishes she made yeah. a great vinaigrette uh you know good steaks and some sauces and cream spinach mm. so I learned from her besides her leg of lamb and uh, flagellet beans mm. just watched her cook but i wasn't like so crazy about it then but i love to go out to eat 
And then it was kind of like, you know, you're getting ready to do the SATs, and you're trying to figure out what you want to do. You're going to, you know, it's the 80s, you're graduating. And yeah. at that point, Wolfgang Puck was kind of becoming a little bit, you know, famous here in L.A. And mm. I have no idea why I did it. I thought, I'm just going to be a chef. Yeah. So I decided in, in 12th grade at Samuel High, I'm going to be a chef. Wow. I said, okay. And I went around, and I kind of talked to the different restaurants here, the chef mm. who was at Chinois Maine. Uh, there was a place called 72 Market Street, and it was right now it's called Market Venice or uh, Market Market I think Market. Yeah. It's on 78. It's on Market Street, <clears throat> and then the West Beach Cafe. I talked to different chefs. Should I go to cooking school? What should I do? My neighbor was a chef, so I said, okay, I'm just gonna get out of high school. I'm gonna get a job and learn how to work. So mm. I got a job. Uh, first job I was working was at the West Beach Cafe. Okay. Which is, became James Beach, and now it's closed. Yeah. But that was the 1980s, and there was a lot of drugs. There was a lot of stuff going on. Cocaine was everywhere. So I yeah. work here, and it was like, shoes. And I wasn't no innocent kid or anything. So, you know, partying, hanging out. And I said, you know, I really want to become a great chef. So mm. the restaurant business here looks like it's the same at every restaurant. I'm going to move to France. Yeah. And at that time, my father was actually living in France selling Vans, Converse, and Levi's on the gray market or the black market, right? importing yeah. him and selling him. Yeah. I don't know what he was doing, but some stuff <laughs> that you know wasn't completely above board. So I moved to France, and uh, my family there had a friend who was a chef who took me in and let me get a job there. Wow. So I went there, and I went there. I thought, I'm going to go for one year, and I'm going to come back. Is that a, at a restaurant? At a restaurant. Oh, yeah. very cool. Uh, but it, in, a, in the 16th, you know, classic French with it. So I moved there in 1987. Yeah. Middle of winter time. And, you know, you're 18 years old, so one year seems like a long time. Yeah. I'm going to exactly. go for one year. I ended up staying for three years in Paris. Had wow. a great time living there. Worked at some really good restaurants. Learned a lot. Just kind of built my passion for cooking. And like yeah. I said, I don't know, but I just decided to be a chef and... I guess I liked it. it. Everything worked well. The yeah. vibe, the work, what it took out of you, the hours, yeah, the whole hospitality, taking care of people, the whole thing about creating something and experience for yeah, people. I enjoyed that for sure. Even though in the beginning you're not really sure what you're doing because you're getting yelled at more than you actually <laughs> know what you're doing. Yeah. Um. So then, after a few years, I moved back to LA. Started working at Shinwan Maine. Okay which uh, I had eaten there before I left, so I wanted to go back and work there. Yeah. So I went back to work there for a while, a couple of years, and I went to another restaurant called Patina mm. for a few years. And at that point, we were working, and me and my best friend, Rafael Lunetta, who also grew up surfing, and his mother was French, and his dad was American, Italian, so we kind of had that in common. Yeah. So we grew up together, and then at first he was going to be in the front of the house, and I was going to be the chef. and stuff but somewhere along like he got into the kitchen also mm. so he started working as a chef also so after a while we decided oh let's try and go on our own and there was this mm. restaurant on Abikini at the time called Capri okay it was there it was owned by a lady so we went there we liked the location let's go ask her for a job here mm. so we went and sold ourselves to be the chefs there um, talked to her let's do a tasting you know, can you hire us? We did a tasting. She liked it. We're going to work for 250 bucks each a week. Okay. Not much at the time. Yeah. We'll do this just to make a name for ourselves. And at that time, Abikini was just 
becoming Abikini. It wasn't anything like it is today. Yeah. We're talking about 1992 now. 90, no, 94, 93. Yeah. So still, you know... The ghost town. It was still Venice. It wasn't. Didn't haven't hit that transition point yet. Yeah. And now there's an Italian restaurant there, Osteria. It was salt for a while. Or yeah. Salt air. And then it became. I think it's a. It's a. Oh, I the, there's a couple of Italian restaurants the same name. Yeah, there's a couple Lincoln, of Yeah. That that's the space there. <clears throat> so we went in there. We did well. From there, a guy named Alan Jackson, who was opening a restaurant in Beverly Hills, came mm. in, liked it. So then we got hired as a chef there. Very cool. In 1994, we left there. We cooked there, and got. That's when we first started getting some press, and you know, obviously, I say I worked at Chinois, I worked at Patina with Joaquin Flechal. Mm. You kind of start to build your name. Yeah. And so we got some press at this place called Jackson's. Young guns coming up, you know, the whole thing. We, at the time, we were really young, but the food was good. We knew what we were doing. And we were there for a couple of years, but, you know, it never really worked. So it was three young mm -hmm. people together, yeah. all with egos. So Rafael and myself left after a few years. And that's when we went on our own to open our first restaurant called Giraffe. Wow. Where was that at? That's on, was on 5th in okay. Santa Monica. Very cool. So in 1996, April of 96, we opened Giraffe together. <clears throat> and it was... Bistronomy, we want to call it. So it's kind of like we're trying, we're making high-end food for a reasonable price, mm. very casual atmosphere. Yeah, uh, just trying to hit the LA market. Yeah, um, not too French, but enough French that we felt a little more heritage, but still California, fresh product. Yeah, we opened it for basically two hundred fifty thousand dollars, one hundred forty, one hundred twenty-five thousand, one thirty each, two sixty. Yeah open it up <clears throat> so I worked there for three years and at that time we started getting more notoriety some good reviews uh, we won best new chef in food and wine magazine which is like a national magazine wow. we got a art we got a review in gourmet which is national magazine yeah so at that time our names were getting more recognized and we get the you know best new restaurant in LA all these awards so it was really going well yeah but it was still casual my dream was always to do fine dining yeah so in 1999, I left open Melise. Wow. And uh, yeah, to the listeners out there, this is the location we're in right now in Melise. And as we walked in, you said you did a lot of renovations yeah. throughout the years as well. So, yeah, so what did that first Melise look like? So the first Melise was a, the whole building we're in right now. Mm -hmm. um, it was more of an older French style restaurant. We had the cheese cart, you know, it was, definitely was a little bit old looking at first. Uh, yeah. It was I borrowed a lot of the paintings from my grandma, and obviously we opened it was at that point was a lot of money to me, but really wasn't a lot of money to open a restaurant, a million dollars. Yeah. And then so we opened that restaurant and we started cooking, and it was a little higher end. And we had the cheese cart, table side service, tasting menu. Mm. You know, it was much more expensive than Giraffe was at the time. Yeah. So we kind of started doing that, and then we pushed that through, and then as I noticed, I started to make little changes and tweaks to it. Yeah, <clears throat> but we kept going and the food was good. Then we started winning awards. Like we won the number one food in Zagat. Wow! At a certain time, off and on, we were in the top three restaurants back and forth between number one and out of it from like 2006 to 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14, when when Zagat was bought by Google, and then everything started changing. It didn't kind of come out as much, but yeah, you know, things always change. As a guidebook is something, and the internet, you know, yeah, change and everything evolves. For sure. But for us, the biggest award we had here 
was in 2008 when the Michelin Guide first came to Los Angeles, and we mm. were awarded two stars when the first the guide first came out. Wow. And we were one of only three restaurants in LA to get two stars. Incredible. And no one got three stars at us today yet. Yeah. <clears throat> so they were here for a few years. At the same time, we won the Mobile or the Forbes uh, five-star award. We were the only restaurant in Los Angeles at the time to have five stars from... 2012 I believe to when we closed the first time in 2019 2020 yeah uh, 2019 guy so we just kept pushing I kept pushing and doing the restaurant I did consulting yeah around I do different things at a hotel at a restaurant in Main Street but then in 2015 I so I opened my second restaurant Charcoal Venice mm-hmm and that was just wanted to be a casual place where you go to have great food. I don't know if you've ever been there. I haven't yet. I've only been uh, actually in L.A. for about eight months, nine, okay. nine months now. Okay. Yeah. So this place is just, you just like a backyard barbecue, chicken wings, steaks, everything cooked over charcoal, lots of the vegetables, oh, wow. uh, fish, you know, great cocktails, always mm. rock and roll music, you know, that I grew up with, punk rock, all different sounds. Yeah. It's a fun place. I like to. Sounds you know, very good. It's very fun. <clears throat> so open that, and then as I this restaurant we're coming up on the lease end, right? Yeah. Twenty years, renegotiating to extend it. What's it going to look like? I decided. Well, I'm going to raise money and I'm going to gut it all and change the whole restaurant. Yeah. So on March second, we closed the restaurant for the rem- to do the new what it was going to be next. Yeah. But in. 20, 2009, the Michelin Guide stopped. Michelin Guide stopped coming to LA, mm. and so they we had our two stars because technically we never lost them. Yeah, but they weren't rating every year. So obviously you want three stars. So for ten years you really couldn't push for three stars, even mm. though we were food wise. But yeah, we really couldn't push for three stars because there was no guide to give it to you. Yeah. So then on. March 5th, the Michelin Guide announced they were doing a California Guide, and they would be including L.A. in that guide, mm. so the guide came. So it's like, I had done all this, now I'm closing the restaurant, I know that they won't put me in that guide that's going to come out, Yeah. because we're going to be closed, and we're changing. So it's like, did I just mess up? Like, I could have got rated, and kept going, and not yeah. done this whole remodel, kept the restaurant the same. But didn't work that way. So we closed the restaurant, and I decided to come up with two different restaurants, Citroen. Yep. And then this small restaurant, which is Melise. Mm. <clears throat> so Citroen was going to be not more of a casual restaurant. We put the big bar in mm. when you walk through the door. Yeah. Uh, more casual vibe. You can order all the cart. You can have tasty menu. Just much. You can have a green salad and a roasted chicken, or you could spend a you know have caviar and foie gras. Not foie gras. Excuse me. You can have caviar and truffles. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're not allowed to serve foie gras. So. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, I don't serve it, but I just said that because it's luxurious. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that was the whole idea to have there. It's just great place, great vibe, fun place to go, hang out. And then Melise is this room here, which mm. is the five-table room where you can see that you watch the kitchen and the chefs mm. cook. Um, wow. So it's a, they serve you. You just is a very intimate restaurant. It's very cool. Uh, we play all vinyl music. Uh, all albums from beginning to end. Yeah, could be Jay Z, could be David Bowie, could be Neil Young, could be uh, Michael Jackson. Mm. Every night's a different lineup. You know, Jill yeah. Scott, uh, Al Green, Marvin Gaye. Wow. Sade, just all different Love genres, it. all different types, but always a whole album. Yeah, 
Incredible. The way it was meant to be listened to, right? Yeah. On a tube amp. Because my thing is, this is fine dining. But what is fine dining? It's all the finest things. Yeah. Finest sound. The old uh, experience. The old, the old, the finest table you've touched, the leather on the... Everything is supposed to be fine. Yeah. Right? It doesn't mean it's a white tablecloth or it's this kind of stuffy experience, but it's about yeah. everything you have is a fine... For sure. Experience. It's about creating a once-in-a-lifetime experience. For sure. I'm curious, like, as these guides come out, press comes out, word comes out, you're pulling in, like, high-class individuals. We're in L.A. I know some yeah. people who have visited here. What is that experience like, and how important is that to bring in high-profile people for you the know, longevity? I think it matters, but I never tried to focus only on that. To totally. me, anybody who walks out door is important to me. Exactly. Maybe it's my upbringing where I grew up in Santa Monica. Yeah. You're coming through the door. I want to make it special. Yeah. I want to make this a great experience for you. Obviously, having the higher class individuals, I don't want to say class, but high, yeah. you know, higher net worth individuals, however it is, yeah. sure it helps your business. Yeah. Because I'm selling a high end product. And obviously, I need people that have, that have, you know, that have enough money they can expend that kind of money on food. And yeah. that they also think the value they're getting is worth it right because it's about the value right For if sure. i give something it could cost 500 dollars, and if there's no value there it's too expensive if the yeah. experience gives value to somebody then it's nothing yeah right it's all relative but i do want i don't really go obviously i don't go out of my way to treat celebrities or yeah anybody else different than i do someone else i mean For sure. personally like of course you have to it, there's a little difference they might need to sit in this table in this corner because they don't want to be seen or little yeah. things like that but in the end of the day, I don't want to treat them any different. Totally, totally. I do my. I don't want to like. Oh, they're going to get better food than them. Yeah. When it comes to what we do, we do the same thing for everybody. I love that. So, uh, if a listener was to like visit Malise, for example, like what is that experience like from sit down to getting okay. served? What so, is that? So first off, when you visit here, you pretty much <clears throat> buy the ticket before you come. Yeah. So you pay in advance. Got so it. So you're not getting out of that reservation. Yeah. Because it's like. When you go to a concert, like if the Rolling Stones are playing, you don't like, hey, I don't have any 10 minutes late. Mick Jagger, can you hold on? Yeah. It doesn't work that way. So the show starts at 5.30. Got it. Or 8.30. So you walk through this door and there's a whole, you know, come in, you get these emails, you get a call for the night. Because you come in, it's kind of through a separate entrance off Wiltshire. You ring a doorbell. It's like a little spray painting area. Yeah. You know, like graffiti, kind of cool little, maybe a little, little bit of a, you know, a, what do you call those things? No, I'm losing my mind. Wow, what is that word for like the little clubs? Like a, um, you know, when it's like a, oh, why am I like, a, you know, it used to be in this 20, in the, trying to think. in the 30s in the prohibition, you know, the, what do you call those? I can't believe I'm losing my mind. <laughs> I'm trying to think too. Speakeasy. Got it. It's kind of like a little speakeasy. So you come in, you ring the doorbell, we come and greet you at the door. Mm. We bring you in here. You sit down at one of these five tables. Right away, you sit down. We have a welcome cocktail. Uh, mm. It's a very creative cocktail. Changes with the seasons. Mm. Um, delicious, refreshing. And then, basically, once everybody's here, after about 10 minutes, you start the meal off with beautiful snacks. And mm. <clears throat> you know, the music's playing. And you kind of go through the whole symphony of the menu. Yeah. And there's some interactive stuff that happens. We're presenting in a duck press where we grind the, crush the bones and make a sauce. Wow. At the same time, the chefs are bringing the food. You're watching them cook, and you're here in this beautiful room, and that's wow. just kind of the experience. Uh, symphony of flavors, foods, textures, 
different techniques, mm. different areas food comes from. Yeah. It's the whole thing. You get the wine pairing. It's the same thing with the wine pairing, wine mm. that goes with it, where they have you taste it without the food, taste it with the food, taste it mm. with the food like this. Just a whole experience. Yeah. When you're looking for that. Yeah. Incredible. I'd love to hear kind of like from your point of view, what makes a good dish? I know this is wide on all like products, but what makes a dish good? Well, what you say? First is the quality of the ingredients. Yeah. Right? Has to be great ingredients. Yeah. Has to be the best you can find, the freshest. And I like to look for people where I get my ingredients from to mm. be the same passion I have for it. So yeah. I try to, you know, have relationships with producers that have the same passion I do, that are always searching for excellence. Yeah. That are always treating the best that they can be, which is our philosophy in pursuit of excellence. Mm. So that's where it starts. Then second, I have to do as little as I can to mess up that beautiful ingredient. Yeah. Okay. But then over the years, you learn highlighting and how to use different ingredients to create symphony of flavors. So Mm. I think it's just about honoring all the ingredients that mm. you taste that ingredient with a highlight of something else but never masking the flavor yeah uh i think everything is cooked when you cook something there's a perfect time mm. to eat it at when you've cooked it like the when it's in its perfect temperature yeah the juices are flowing the tenderness is that one point and i think sometimes you eat something i'm sure you're right, it tastes better than other times yeah for sure but it could be the same thing the same sauce but you just had it at the right time. That's yeah. my philosophy. It's like, there's a perfect time to take that bite. Yeah. It's interesting. And it's, wow. And sometimes you can be so blown away by something. Yeah. Or there's cabbage sometimes. There's carrots. And you eat them, they're, oh, this is good. Yeah. Next time you eat it, it's like, holy shit. Yeah. This is amazing. So I think it's also the product. For sure. So I guess it's an open-handed question. What is it, it is, It's yeah. perfect when it all comes together. Yeah. At that moment when you have a bite. Yeah. And it's the company... Some days you have more taste than others. Some days you mm. taste something, things just don't taste that good. Yeah. I mean, it's, so it's, but we do everything we can to create, to cook everything perfectly. Yeah. From technique-wise, recipe-wise, mm. training-wise. Yeah. So that whenever you have it, you love it. Yeah. And it's sure. it's perfect time. For sure. So, um, yeah, talking on like the taste, also there's the aspect of like the harmony of taste to presentation I'm from yes. fine diners what does presentation yeah. mean to you I mean presentation to me is creating something beautiful yeah when you look at it mm. it's beautiful but I don't want to ever forget, forget the look is more important than the taste yeah because the taste is always more important for sure than the look so that's also that fine line it has to look beautiful you have to make it look beautiful but it has to be hot still it can't be cold mm. yeah all these things but I think first you eat with your eyes mm. right and the description from the captain, the waiter, the chef, mm. when they explain it to you, right? Yeah. It's that part, too, because you have to explain all the little details that went into it. So you're already in your mind before you're eating it thinking, oh, the chef, he, mm. you know, cured it, then he aged it for a week, then he slow cooked it, mm. you know, to have that perfect uh, texture and flavor yeah. of the fish where it's, you know, silky with that, you know, beautiful salinity and sweetness from the ocean. Yeah. Right? There's that perfect point. But we have to sell that also, so the guests know that they're supposed to eat, and they're going to taste for sure at the same time. So that's the, the view, the explanation, and then you have to deliver on the taste. Because mm. if you sell that whole thing, you taste it. Ah, oh, it tastes a little bit mushy and, um, you know, a little old, a little unmoulded. You're going to be like, oh, that's not that good. So you have to yeah. get that part too. But I think it's the whole thing: it's the vision, the beauty of it, the description coming mm. at you, and then the flavor and the taste yeah. of it. Interesting. 
I'd love to cover some of like the marketing side of the restaurant business. What do you see is like the harmony of like word of mouth, Michelin guide guides or like reviews? Yeah. What what is the marketing so, that draws people here? Forever it was LA Times review, it was a gourmet magazine mm-hmm. coming out. But everything's changed. The internet yeah. everything's different. So for a guy like me, I'm kind of in the old school style, so trying to figure out I don't no, I I mean I look at I don't hate Instagram, but I don't want it I don't like to Instagram. I'm not good yeah. at selling myself. Like I came from the time when other people sold you. Yeah. Right? So they have the reviews really don't do anything anymore. Mm. The Michelin Guide, yes, it does something for a certain clientele and certain people. Yeah. I still think the best reviews are word of mouth. For sure. Right. People come here, they like it, they tell people. Mm. You hear about it, that's how you hear about it. Mm. You see it here and there, you see the press, but I think the best thing is the word of mouth. Yeah. Uh, we all say we don't like Yelp, we don't like Google, but in the end of the day, I think if you're doing a really good job, you're making good food, Yeah. Well, then your reviews should be pretty good on Google and Yelp. Yeah. It's just quicker word of mouth. Definitely. But, you know, we got canceled, I don't know what you want to call it, a charcoal with some guy, pull a skint with an orange. Yeah. And the thing that we charge him twelve bucks for an orange when he asks us to charge him twelve bucks for the orange, and he, did, and he it's his most famous reel he did, and then it went big, and then I get reviews, one star mm. reviews. I went from a four point six Google rating to three point nine, and we're fighting it every wow. day, taking down the reviews because these people never eat in the restaurant. Wow! So mm. it also can go against you, definitely. Yeah, which is a nice. But for a restaurant like Melise and Citroen, we this has two Michelin stars. Citroen next door has a one Michelin star. Mm-hmm. We're higher end, we, we're feeding people looking for a certain experience. The Michelin Guide does wonders for us. Yeah. Worldwide clientele. Yeah. Charcoal, you know, I don't want a Michelin, a Michelin star there. Yeah. I just want people to love the food there, come there. I want to get great accolades because I don't want to worry about losing something, right? For sure. Because if I lose it there, mm. then what are people going to say? The restaurant's no good. They lost a star. Yeah. So I'd rather not have one so I don't got to, because then I think it changes the whole vibe of the restaurant. Mm. of the how the servers are how the chefs are we're not so worried about losing it yeah we're just worried about making great food right now and making a yeah. great time and in a nice atmosphere yeah incredible i would love to kind of hear this region on how important it is you grew up in santa monica area keeping all of your restaurants like in this region why is that you know it just kind of happened that way i like the west side yeah um i have six down here right now between dear jane's mm-hmm which just opened in the marina with my partners Hans and Patty Rockenwagner. Yep. With, uh, and then we have Dear John's in Culver City, which is, we'll see how long it lasts because it's on a timetable. Yeah. To Charcoal, to Augie's on Main. Yep. My fast casual restaurant. Yeah. So I've been lucky to keep them all here because it keeps me not going crazy, but I'm actually yeah. opening one on Sunset, another Charcoal. Wow. Where, when is in that? In West Hollywood in the next few months. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, I'm excited for that, but I'm also like, I drive there or something. Oh, geez, what did I get myself into? <laughs> yeah. But it's a whole new world out there. Yeah. New clientele. I think people don't even know what charcoal is. And I think it's, we're way over here in Venice. Yeah. Off Washington. So I'm excited about going out of the region. Yeah. But I've definitely been a West Side guy. For sure. Incredible. Um, yeah. So I like to conclude each episode with all those learnings, the growth and expansion. If you can share a piece of advice with maybe an aspiring entrepreneur, business owner, what would you say? Something you've learned? I mean, look, I just think that you have to go for your dreams. Yeah. You know, and never be afraid to fail. Mm. 
because you know what are the, what's that old saying like it's like what is the only the only failing is fear of failing itself right yeah I just think you got to go for it I think you got to surround yourself with good people I think mm. you really got to learn to inspire people in your vision yeah so an entrepreneur like it's a, you have to create your vision and then you have to inspire those who are going to support you and get into your vision you have to you know inspire them to be pat to buy into your dream yeah right? you need to sell your dream to them so they can help you do it they got to buy your kool-aid yeah basically you know they got to be with you to get where you want to go it takes mm. good people with you because you can't do it on your own yeah so that's important but I definitely think you got to go for what you want don't mm. ever not do it because the regret is worse and then you become a bitter old fart and then, <laughs> you know yeah I know I think it's important to create what you want to do and go for it true I mean I feel lucky in lots of ways that I've been able to be so successful yeah and it just happens you know I was 30 years old opening my 50 my first restaurant now I'm 55 years old and it's like where wow. the time go? I don't feel any different. Yeah. You know? Just yeah. a little more tired, but, you know. <laughs> wow, amazing. It's such but an amazing journey. It and just goes, yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for letting me visit this beautiful facility. And um, to listeners out there, make sure if you make it on the West Coast, make sure to check out any of these restaurants. Melise, we have Citroen right next door. And, of course, in a few months, we're going to be expanding to another restaurant. Super yeah. exciting. Charcoal Sunset. Awesome. Ken, Josiah, thank you so much. All right, thank you so much. Awesome. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small Pod on social platforms to keep up to date on future guests.